0: Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the text that was read for us this morning? Psalm 45. This psalm, like many of the other psalms that are called Messianic psalms, have a double meaning. There is the immediate meaning, and then there is the meaning which has its fuller and fullest expression in the person of Christ. Christ. Let me give you an example. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins with the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It had a, a present meaning for the writer that was writing then, but it has its fullest expression. Later on, in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, as he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that, again, I think I mentioned it, we used to say in college that the, the Old Testament has the New Testament concealed and the New Testament has the Old Testament revealed. So this psalm is going to reveal to us not only a king that was present at the time of its writing, but a greater king, the one of whom we have been singing and worshipping this morning. And one of the desires of my heart as as we, we look at this chapter and we look at other verses that will come with it, that you will have a fresh appreciation for who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Jesus has become the conversation piece for a number of things, good and bad, and may I say more bad than good. However if you should see him as he's seen in this text this morning, I believe that your life can be an impact to the lives of others as they see how you feel about the one we call Jesus, who is our King. It is my prayer that the Holy Spirit will open our understanding to see him in a fresh way this morning, and that we will say like the writer of this psalm my heart is overflowing with a great theme i am i have the tongue of a ready writer it is the theme to my king and we're not talking about solomon we're not talking about david we're talking about jesus let us pray oh god this is your word and i pray that i will be delivered from giving my opinion about your word I want to, re, to respond to what the Holy Spirit has given as you were looked, uh, Lord, look to for the one to open the truths. May the Spirit open our hearts as I pray that he will open my mouth so that the words of my mouth and the meditation in our hearts will be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Jesus is king. When I was a young chap, ever so often royalty used to come to where I was born. Now, I never met any of them personally. But I saw them. I was able to see the, the duke, the queen's husband. Then I was able to see the, the princess Margaret, the, the queen's sister. And, and you know, One of of the most interesting things for me, I remember, as a young chap, as as, as Margaret was being driven through the city in in a Land Rover, and she was standing and waving to the people, um, I thought she looked right at me. I mean, I went home feeling, wow, I wonder if she's going to write to me or something. (laughs) I mean, that's dumb, isn't it? But but I felt that her eyes caught mine. I, I mean... What else, you know? After all, I'm Mrs. Thurton's son. She should be looking at me or something like that. I don't know. So the idea of a king is not something new to me. I'm used to it. I remember when Lois and I and Christopher were in England, and and we went to Buckingham Palace. I got as far as the washroom. Um, You know, they had the flag on top of Buckingham Palace. And whenever the flag is on top of Buckingham Palace, it means that Her Majesty is at home. And, and, <laughs> and, and we got there just in time, we thought, that we were going to see the Royal Mail being delivered to Buckingham Palace. And, and <laughs> it, what, we were late. And I, I went to uh, a guard, I think, and I asked, about seeing the royal mail being delivered in the royal cart. And he said, if you go around there and, and so on, you will see it. And we ran. I mean, it's a good thing no one had robbed a bank or anything like that because they were, would be thinking, I wonder why they're running. <laughs> but we wanted to see the royal carriage with the royal mail. And you can you imagine my excitement? I'll tell you why it was exciting. I thought... I was brought up with this. It was all in my mind because of my training. But here I am, on the grounds of Buckingham Palace. You know, I, I saw the carriage that the queen rode in when she was crowned as queen. Wow. Wow. But my friends, she doesn't have a clue who I am. This king knows who you are. This king invites you to be a part of his family. And and this is what's catching the imagination, if you please, of the writer of this psalm. He's thinking of the king. And and you know, as, as Americans, I suppose, kings and queens... Just don't hit it with you. <laughs> After all, 236 years ago, you got rid of that stuff. <laughs> and, and, and we will see the difference between the king we're talking about this morning and the kings of the earth. There is no, the only, the only thing they have in common is the Spelling. Nothing to be compared with the one that we call King Jesus. Nothing at all. So the psalm begins for us with our acknowledging a king. We're confronted immediately with the way God looks upon himself and the way he looks upon his son. Psalm 2 begins this way. The nations, and we'll come back to that. The nations are in an uproar. The kings of the earth gather themselves together because they don't like the idea of the anointed one. And the word anointed in the the original language really sounds like the word Messiah because that's who they're talking about. And then God goes through this and then he gets to verse 6. And then he says this. But I have set my king upon Zion. So that the idea of a king for the earth is introduced to us by God himself. Now let me talk about a few things that are the prerogative of this king. He is God's king. He is a king that existed before time. He didn't earn that as we have the members of the royal family going through the process and then coming to the place where one can become king and you're in line for this king. There's no one else in line. He alone, he alone is king. Listen to the prophet Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small... Yet there shall come out of you a ruler. Melila. That's who it is, a king. A ruler. And when it speaks about a ruler, he's talking about one who is reigning, who is reigning in power, and he will come into, into, into the vision of men and women. So when he came and he was riding a donkey that Sunday we call Palm Sunday, He was fulfilling the prophecy of God setting up his king so that we can see who that king is. And so we read, you welcome him who comes to you as a king. Let me just make two suggestions to you. It's a good thing he was riding a donkey and not a horse. Nothing is wrong with a horse, I want you to know. (laughs) You see, if he were riding a horse, he would come... As a warrior. He would come as one who is about to take over. But he's riding a donkey. Because a donkey is an animal of peace. And this king comes then as the king of peace. This is how he was born. So listen to those wise men, and we shall come to them later on. Who traveled from Babylon to Jerusalem. And when they came, they made it known to those to whom they spoke. Where is he, please listen, who is born king? Know who will be made king. He is born king. Matthew 2 2. That is, he came out of the womb as a royal, sovereign power. That's a mystery. For here is is this king who existed in eternity in the womb of a maiden. That's his prerogative, friends. He's not like any other person. He is not asking us to make him king. Because I want to suggest to you, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, he... Is king. We'll see this some more in a few minutes. But I want you to see not only my friends. His prerogative. I want you to see his position. The word king as used in our text means. One who is enthroned. It is describing one who is sovereign in power. Not one who. He's trying to see how he can gain it when you read Psalm 29 and verse 10 listen to what it says the Lord sat as King at the flood and you and I thought that the flood was talking about a world that was out of control no God was sitting as King Jesus was sitting as King When the floods covered the whole earth, God was not absent. God was in control. He was ruling the whole affair. He was orchestrating the whole thing because he is king. And and a king can do whatever he desires to do. His throne is in the heavens in other words, it doesn't have its origin from the ideas and the speculation of human beings. His king, his kingdom. I, I've, I've, I've always been amazed at the thief on the cross. When he was dying, his last breath, he said to Jesus, now all his life, I don't. we have no idea that he ever followed Christ. But at the last moment of his life upon this earth, Listen to what he says. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He saw in Jesus something regal. He saw in Jesus something sovereign. And he was saying, this man has to be a king. And the consciousness of Jesus, when Pilate said to him, Are you a king? Jesus said, you have said it. He lived with the consciousness of who he was. His position was one who was, in, was reigning. So, you know, someone wrote a book, Who Murdered Jesus? Jesus was not murdered, friends. You murder someone who is unsuspecting. Jesus was killed because he surrendered himself for it. He was the king in control even of what was happening to him. Even when it looked like it was out of control, he was reigning. He was reigning. So there you have the acknowledging of a king. He's there. But I want you to see, secondly, the addressing of the king. And this is where we come to our text. It seems that there was a local wedding. Whether it's Solomon's or David or some other king, we're not told. But when you look at the development of the psalm, You get the feeling, you get the idea. This could not be talking only of something that was happening there. We shall see it in a minute. So he said this. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Look at the attraction of the king. The attraction of the king. You are fairer than the sons of men. He was high above in beauty. We shall see what that is in a minute. This this king that he's looking at caused his heart to stir. I like the King James translation. It says, my heart is indicting. It is full it is, it is on fire. It is like Niagara Falls, just flowing with things. When I look at this king, I, I feel overcome by, by his very presence. He's so attractive. There is something beautiful about him. I, I can't put into words what it is grace is poured out on his lips so that his contemporaries said of him, never, any, a man, never a man spoke like this man. We have never heard words like these. We have never heard sentences like these. We have never heard thoughts like this. He is so attractive. Is it any wonder that little children wanted to be with him? Is it any wonder? I had a very interesting experience Wednesday night and, and you see little Eva when she runs around here I mean you get just a blast just watching her and, and so she came to where I was and she sat down and I sat down on the floor with her and she, she, she sat this way and I sat this way and I put my hands up and she put her hands up and I mean everybody around us going crazy, you know, the pastor on the floor with this kid. (laughs) May I apply that? Have you seen anything in Jesus that makes you want to emulate him? The psalmist says, I see in him, someone let me lose myself. Now friends, if you know me, I don't sit in floors. <laughs> I have this this you know this thing about my background. It's it's hard for me to do certain things. But that little girl caused me to sit down and just laughed with her. Is Jesus Christ so attractive to you that all you want to do is to allow your heart to flow over with adoration to him because he's so attractive to your soul? The the psalmist says, "I, I can't get over it. See, the mystery of Jesus is the mystery of his personality, his character. He speaks like no other could speak. His character and his person is such, my friends, that when you get with him, something happens to you. You cannot say, I have been with Jesus and remain the same, so that those who were with him days after were seen, and people were able to take note that they had been with him. That's the attraction that the psalmist saw in the king then. How much more are we to be attracted to the king, now I, I I love this story of Nathaniel. When Nathaniel was introduced to Jesus and he was coming, Jesus said, Behold, behold, an, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael said, How did you know me? And he said, This I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And he said, Man, you are got to be the Messiah. So Jesus said to him, are you carried away now? Wait until you see the Son coming in his glory. What do you know of Jesus now? Is that all there is to know of him? Uh, you know the song we sing? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. The attraction of the king. You know, this is a wedding we're at here. And and you know, it's interesting. Most of our weddings have to do with the ladies. Isn't, Isn't that true? Who cares about the man? He, he, he's just there. He just shows up. But when we think of a wedding, we think of the dress that is being worn by the bride. The dress that is being worn by the ladies in, a, in waiting. And yeah, then there are some ushers. <laughs> but my friends, do you see this? This is the attraction to the king. You see, because we're not talking about an earthly wedding here. There is coming a day when you will be the bride. And he will be the king. And you will see him as he is. And the whole passion of God is that the bride looks upon the bridegroom and be satisfied. That's what God is promising us. That's why John, when he talked about the bridegroom present, he said, listen, when the bridegroom is present, nobody needs to go on a fast. When he's gone, yes, because our souls will miss him. But oh, when he is present. And now we have him present, my friends, in his word for us, the attraction of the king. But look at the authority of the king. The authority of the king, verses 3 to 5. But I want to take you back to Psalm 2. In Psalm 2 and verse 1, God is going to set up his king. But if you look in verse 2 of Psalm 2, the kings of the earth do not want that king. You know, it's interesting. When you think of it right now, there are a number of things that divide us as human beings. A number of things. But the one thing that unites us around the world is the rejection of Jesus Christ. Look, the kings of the earth. They have nothing else in common, but if there's anything they have in common, they have this. We don't want a king. You see, a king is someone who has authority over our lives. A king is someone who tells us the the, the rules, the law. This is what this king will do, as you you read in verses 3 to 5. And the scripture says that, Psalm 47 verse 2, that he's the king of all the earth. He speaks to political system wherever it is. And they say, we don't want this king over us. But dear friends, please listen. It is not only politics, it's people, individuals. You know, it came across my mind the other day that it's not that we don't believe in God. It's not that we don't want a king. You know what it is? We don't want this kind of a king. We don't want a king that tells us what we're supposed to do. Get rid of the Ten Commandments. We don't want anyone to tell us how to live our lives. And we will do anything. We will come together. And we will stand together. If it means that this king will not rule over us. In fact, we despise this king to the place where, where we celebrate him on Palm Sunday, but we'll kill him on Friday. See, the authority of the king is what's really, really getting to this generation, to you and to me. I came across a very interesting thing. When God is is speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden, every time he spoke to them, he spoke to them as the Lord God. Every time. In chapter 3 of Genesis, the devil gets into the garden, and the devil says to Eve, did God say, you notice what he did, Lord is missing. The devil will not bow to God, because that's what the word Lord means, ruler, ruler. Master. But that is not the worst part of it. The worst part of it is that when Eve answers, she answers as the devil asked the question. This is what God said. So Eve, at that point, dismissed the mastery of the king over her life. And you know the rest of the story. The authority of the king George MacDonald, who influenced C.S. Lewis, said this. Listen to this. Think it through. The central conviction of hell is that I am the captain of my soul and the master of my destiny. The central conviction of hell is that I am my own king. I don't want this king to rule over me. I remember some, some years ago, my, my daughter, Heather, I was driving her to school and um, some of the kids asked, I guess they were asking questions, what does your dad do? And she was young enough. In fact, the very interesting thing, I remember I took Heather to, to hear Billy Graham when she was a little girl. And so we were sitting down and she said, how come he's speaking and not you, Dad? That's why I love that girl. That's, uh, you know. <laughs> this kid said to Heather, what does your dad do? And she said, my dad is a pastor. And this kid said, I don't want, this is a kid in grade school, I don't want any man to stand up and tell me what to do. So I said to Heather, the next time you hear that, say, no, the man is only repeating what the one who gives you life said. See, Pharaoh said, who is God that I should obey him? Only the one that gave you life. Was it not C.S. Lewis again? He who argues against the existence of God, argues against the very power that makes it possible for him to argue at all. we don't want this king friends and this is the issue of the day in which you and i are living this is what's going on today that is why people are beginning to make changes into the moral and ethical condition of the world in which we live i am getting ready for my ministry up i i i i stopped saying enterprise because every time I say Enterprise, people look at me, do you know where that is? <laughs> so I say Eastern Oregon. But, but I, in, in my preparation, one of the things that, that I noticed, God said certain things. And whenever Jesus was asked questions about morals and ethics, he never answered the question from the way the contemporary Questioner means it. He always goes back to the beginning. He said, from the beginning it was not so. Have you not read that God made them male and female? We are now renaming that design of God. Because we don't want that authority over us. We don't want that king to tell us what, how we should live our lives. If I want to have my fling, I will have my fling. And so the central conviction of hell is that I am my own king. Let's look at the last point in this, from this psalm, the adoration of the king. Look at his dignity. Verses 3, 4, and 6. The king is described as possessing truth and meekness and righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, if you read the history of kings in and out of the Bible, it's a very sorry history. A very sorry history. As those of us that are going through the Old Testament reading, you look at some of those kings in Exodus and and Deuteronomy and you think, "Good night." Wow. Because you don't find, you know, you've got to look far and wide for a model king they're not there earthly kings want to keep their power and their power is for themselves but look at this king this king is going to ride on and he's going to ride with meekness and truth and righteousness this king in, in fact let me read you what a text that you and i know so well In Isaiah 9, 7, listen to what it says. There will be no end of the increase of his government or peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Where do we find justice in the world today? Where do we find peace in the world today? Where do we find righteousness in the world today? My friends, it is in the person of Christ. When he sits as king of a nation, there is peace there. But please listen, when he sits as king of our homes, he is also providing for us what we need to live. When he's the king in our homes, when he's the king of our lives, His dignity as king is that when he reigns over us, he reigns in a certain splendor so that we reflect that very splendor in our relationship and responsibility to those that are under our charge and under our care. The dignity of the king. You know... We're facing great difficulties today with the disappearance of the difference between men and women, and so on and on. I'm not talking about what they're talking about out there. But dear friends, I'm going to suggest to you that when the kings of the Earth get together, there's only conflict, war, destruction, division. And you know what they want? Guess, guess what the kings of the earth are fighting for? For peace. They're fighting for justice. But I like what Aristotle said. The reason we need justice is because we're not all friends. And we need to have the dignity of this king over our lives. You see, my friends... If I am going to rule my home, I had better be ruled by him. If I'm going to rule the church, I had better be ruled by him. Because rulership is always under the authority of the ultimate ruler. Never the kings of the earth. Lastly, from the dignity of the king, look at the desire for the king. I love this. I love this so much. The Magi's came over hills, over valleys. It is believed that they came all the way from Babylon. And when they left Babylon, they left with one passion, one goal, and one desire. When they reached Jerusalem, they expressed that goal and that desire. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star and we have come to worship him. That was the passion. That was the desire. To worship him. You see, because in Psalm 2 it says, When God sets his king upon the throne, you are to kiss the king. That is, to lean forward and honor him. So they told them them where the king was to be found. And they went, and the star led them to the place where the king was. No longer in a manger, but not an adult. And when they saw him with Mary and with Joseph, listen to what the text says. They worshiped him. Him. They were able to put aside all the peripherals so that their vision was on one person. And when they saw him, they leaned forward and kissed him. Kissed him. You see, when you kiss the son, you're saying, I accept your authority over my life. I accept your rulership over my life. Kiss the son. Worship him. Submit to him. This king is not looking for fans. If you want to see fans, you go to a baseball game. If you want to see worshipers, come to a church. Because Jesus is not looking for fans. Looking for worshipers. And there are four things, I close with this. Four things that can tell me whether I am under the authority of the king. Number one obedience, not my will, but thine be done. That's the first sign that he's the king of your life, king of my life, not my will. So I don't tell you what I want at the expense of what you want. It is what he wants. Two, accept, submit. This is different from the first. See, the first is, 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 is the general. To accept is the particulars. So that in submission, I look for his way. His way. What he says. I bow to what he says. I submit to what he says. I don't question what he says. Third, I rely upon him. I rely upon the king. Jesus said in John 15:5, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So that I'm always looking to the king for all that I need. So I am obedient. I accept his authority. I rely upon his authority. And I expect, I expect. Job 23.10 says this. In the height, in the height of his pain, Job said this. He knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, when he's finished with the process through which he's leading me, when he's finished, I shall come forth as gold. I expect. You know, when I was in Toronto, a man, I was talking about my daughter. We had only one child at the time. And and he said to me, um, I was talking about, you know, the wonderful joy it is having our daughter. And he said, Just wait. So I said, wait on what? Just wait. And I got it. And I said, listen, I am not waiting for my daughter to rebel. I'm waiting for my daughter to respond. Because what I am doing, she will want to respond. That's what God says. Read Psalm 128. That's what God says. So my friends, to expect... That, whatever you're going through this morning, that King is a righteous King, is a merciful King, is a meek King. He will not do you harm, He will only do you well. Jesus is King, but is He your King? Let's pray. Oh, gracious God. You have set up your king. We don't look for one. We don't try to make one. And I pray that if there's anyone in this place this morning, Father, finding it hard to respond to this king, that the Spirit of God will open his or her heart to say, yes, king of my life, I accept you now. Be my ruler be my Savior, be my King, in Jesus' name.